Last Tuesday, a court case sure to shape the future of healthcare civil rights reached its crescendo within the highest institute of justice. The court case concerns a private individual, the late Georgi Televsky, and on the other side, the Marion Health and Hospital Corporation, which operates the nursing home that Mr. Televsky righted in. The two questions in the case include, one, individuals can sue the government if they are not benefiting from federal health care programs, and two, does the Federal Nursing Home Reform Act give individual rights for patients to sue if their medication and transfer rights are violated? In 2016, Talevsky's family placed him in a nursing home in Valparaiso to treat his worsening dementia. The nursing home was owned by the Health and Hospital Corporation, which is a government entity. The family of Talevsky and the nursing home disagreed over medication and multiple transfers to other facilities. The nursing home alleged that Talevsky acted in a violent and aggressive manner and could not control him, according to court documents. Meanwhile, Talevsky's family argues that the nursing home abused him and violated his individual rights. Lawrence Robbins, attorney for the Health and Hospital Corporation, provided the opening argument for the plaintiff. Chief Justice John Roberts questioned Robbins on the protection of individual rights under the Federal Nursing Home Reform Act of 1987. The key to spending clause statutes, this court said in Arlington Central School District, quote, is what the states are clearly told regarding the conditions that go along with the acceptance of federal funds. Among the most costly conditions that may go along with the acceptance of federal funds is exposure to private litigation under Section 1983. States are therefore entitled, in our view, to clear notice that they will be subject to such private lawsuits if they they accept spending clause money. At common law, third parties generally could not sue to enforce government contract rights unless the contract clearly specified that the breaching party would be liable to injured third parties. Because the Federal Nursing Home Reform Act contains no such clear statement, it should not give rise to Section 1983 liability. But even if a clear notice rule is not required, the two purported rights that respondent invokes under FINRA do not give rise to Section 1983 claims. First, FINRA and its implementing regulations provide a comprehensive suite of remedies, including a more restrictive private remedy, that forecloses Section 1983 relief. On this dispositive point, the U.S. Solicitor General agrees with us. Second, the two rights respondent invokes are not unambiguously phrased in terms of the persons benefited. Instead, the two rights invoked here today are but a small piece of an overarching set of requirements addressed to nursing facilities that receive federal money. And the command to protect and promote those rights are system-wide commands, not an unambiguous assurance of individual entitlement. What do you, For, mean, what do you mean by system commands? Uh, in the, that, uh, as in blessing, the language of the statute, Mr. Chief Justice, is directed to the rights of uh, the, uh, the the obligation of the nursing facility to uh, take care of the entire system and not focused on any particular individual. The language protect and promote 
to promote something, it seems to me, evokes the notion that you are looking out at the whole system in which you promote and protect a certain right. No, I, I, I think you have a stronger argument on promote, though, than you have on protect. Yes. And, and the, the, uh, the statute uses both and then, you know, uh, lists a variety of rights. And it seems to me that if you're supposed to protect those rights and you're the person who's responsible for conferring, uh, living up to those rights, that, that seems to me that it ought to be sufficiently direct uh, under, under Blessing or Gonzaga or – Robbins argued that states should be advised of the standards they will be held to and the penalties they will face should they accept federal funds for public entities such as nursing homes. Justice Kagan asserted that the nursing home should have made sure Talevsky's rights were not violated under FINRA. Robbins responded, I guess I'm just not sure, Mr. Robbins, what that, what that gets you. It's a big statute. It does a lot of things, but one of the things it does – is to say every nursing facility has to ensure that individual rights are respected and lays out in considerable detail what those rights are and say it's your job to see that those rights are fulfilled. Yeah. Well, again, uh, it is our view that um, taken as a whole, this, these are directions to the nursing facilities, even subsection C, which is the uh, the one in which these rights can be found, begins with the command, the nursing home shall. Uh, and, and so, you know, if you're asking the question... Well, it's true that the nursing home is involved in this because the nursing home is the entity that's supposed to respect the individual rights that are laid out. I mean, you have to think that any individual right imposes a correlative duty on somebody, and here it's the nursing home that it's supposed to make sure that those rights are not violated. I don't disagree with that at all, Justice Kagan. What I do think, however, is that my threshold argument uh, is based on the common law at the time Section 1983 was enacted and on federalism and separation of powers principles. But if we are now in the guts of question two, uh, I would suggest that uh, the individual uh, um, uh, patient is not the unambiguous focus of this statute. Justice Brent Kavanaugh agreed with Kagan that the nursing home should have prioritized Talevsky's individual rights based on the wording of the statute. I mean, it says rights. It's very uncomfortable <laughs> fact for you is yes. that the statute well, says rights over and over again. Yes, precisely. I mean, and, and no less so uh, did... Residence rights. Too. Yes, of course it says rights. Uh, this court has twice faced that precise circumstance, Justice Kavanaugh, with a long section of bill called Bill of Rights in Section 6010 of the Rehab Act of 73. That wasn't enough. The chief, then Chief uh, Justice Rehnquist, said for the court that we don't pick out little words like rights. A point repeated by this court uh, uh, in 2002 in footnote 7 of Gonzaga. The mere fact that the word right is sprinkled through the statute, obviously I don't dispute that, is not enough to get you over the unambiguous focus hurdle. Justice Sonia Sotomayor then questioned Robbins about legal precedent prior to Section 1983's passage in 1871. Counsel, do you dispute the Amici legal historian's (coughs) point 
that the prevailing rule in American common law in the 1870s, before 1983 was passed, yes. permitted third-party beneficiaries to sue? I absolutely do. And I'm so glad you... So that's, a, that's just a matter of our reading of history. If we disagree with you, well, uh, what, what, what's left? Well, can, can, can I just perhaps answer the question by suggesting where they got it wrong and where instead we, the court may wish to be looking? Okay. Um, uh, what they are saying, uh, what, they, they quote a particular secondary uh, article uh, in which somebody to actually be more than, went to the trouble. There was more than one, but let's keep going. The, the, in which somebody actually went to the trouble of adding up all the cases and then saying 72% of these uh, were allowed and 62% of these were allowed. But if you look at footnote 22 of the principal source they rely on, you will see that the author cut out from his sample all the so-called incidental beneficiary cases, which are the ones we say are most like a spending clause statute. In other words, the game was rigged. It, it, the, it, the, the, the denominator was gerrymandered to gin up very high numbers. But if you go back and look at all of the government-to-government contract cases, and I've looked at a fair bit of them, uh, you will find that unless the government contract called out the plaintiff, for example, Schneier, uh, 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 the Schneier case from 1918 uh, in New York, or uh, uh, the little uh, uh, the little case that it cites uh, from 1880, uh, in those cases they said, um, you know, these were the water company and fire company cases of the 19th century. Um, Generally speaking, if your house burned down because the water company didn't put enough water in the hydrants, you were out but of luck. But none of those contracts. I'm sorry? The incidental contracts are different than the ones you even admit if you call out the plaintiff. Isn't that what Blessing and Gonzaga are saying? No. I, if I, the contract is giving a right to a particular class of people... That is a third-party beneficiary. No, I, I, I respectfully suggest that it is not, because if you look at the cases I've just described, what you will find is that the contract had a, uh, for example, Schneier is a, is a water company case, and it said, in substance, uh, if you don't deliver the water, uh, you will be liable to anyone who is injured. In the little case from 1880. But that's what 1983 says. If I confer a government right on you, the state is going to be liable if it violates the law, that right. No. Well, actually, what it says is if it violates a right secured by law. And exactly. What is, and and what if is, I have a right under the law to a certain thing that the, the government has contracted with a provider to give me. Uh, 1983 says I can go to court. Well, I, I, I don't think it's quite that simple. I think what is secured by law depends, among other things, on how 1983 would have been understood at the time it was enacted. And at that time, you could not sue on a government-to-government -government contract unless, and this is the general state of the law, as Cummings directs us to look at, uh, not little outliers from the uh, regression curve, but the main curve that that joins most of the cases. What you will find, Justice Sotomayor, is that 
when somebody had the right to sue, somebody whose house burns down or somebody who doesn't get a benefit from a government contract, the contract said you will be liable to third parties if you breach this contract. Except that, as Justice Alito pointed out, this spending clause provision provides that all other remedies of law, i.e. 1983, are not superseded. No. Uh, I, I, I didn't take Justice Alito to be agreeing with that proposition, uh, and I certainly do not agree with that proposition. The language of the, of the savings clause says these are in addition to laws provided by statute, constitution, and common law. And this Court has said in several cases that the reference to statutes is to statutes other than the very statute containing the savings clause. That means other than FINRA. And if it means other than FINRA, which is the way I read it and the way this Court has read it more than once, uh, then they have no claim. Because okay, you can't, because FINRA is not a statute other than FINRA itself. Tomorrow, we continue our analysis of the arguments presented before the Supreme Court, such as the state of Indiana's perspective, a neutral take by the assistant to the U.S. Solicitor General, and the family of Tulevsky. That tomorrow on the Disabulletin's Civil or Not, the court case of Tulevsky v. Marion and the debate over a private right to sue.